to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, happy Father's Day to all of us fathers out there. Yeah, I hope it's a blessed day for all of us dads. Um, uh, but also, we just want to take seriously the fact that sometimes Father's Day is a hard day. So if it's hard for you today, we pray that you would sense the Lord's ministry even though, right? Because it's a blessing for you. Um, also, happy Juneteenth. This is a big, a big deal. The second time we get to celebrate it as a federal holiday. This is a day for celebration. It's a momentous morning. I'm really excited about it. Really glad to be here. Uh, my name is Jeff Mumley, if we haven't had a chance to meet. And uh, I am the director of Bellingham Chi Alpha, which used to be called University Christian Ministries, the artist formerly known as UCM. Basically, I get to lead a team of missionaries sent out by all of you to uh, reach college students for Jesus on our three local campuses, Western, Whatcom, and Skagit Valley College. And uh, I jumped at the chance to fill in for our Holy Land traveling preachers uh, as we approach the conclusion of our Book of James series. Kumbi, thank you so much for reading scripture this morning. Where did Kumbi go? Say hi to you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, sister. Um, That's beautiful. Now, uh, whenever we study a passage like the one Kumbi read for us, we should always be asking ourselves, why did James say that? Why was this written? He could have said anything. Why did he say that? What's going on that prompted this letter? And what's going on that prompted this part of the letter? Right? I mean, look at what James tells his readers. He says, be patient, stand firm, don't grumble. Be patient in the face of suffering and persevere. So we have to ask why. Why does James need to say all this? He's not just thinking up stirring things to say generally. Something's happening that he's addressing. We've touched on this several times. We've talked through the book of James together. So let's start with the context of this passage itself, okay? In the verses right before our passage this morning is what Tim talked about last week. A number of the believers James is writing to are being oppressed by rich landowners who aren't paying them. They're not getting paid, and some of them are actually starving. Because the monsters who own the land they're working are too greedy to pay them. So they're suffering from injustice. Um, Different Christian communities at different times know exactly what this is like. Uh, Today, we celebrate Juneteenth. Second time we get to recognize this new federal holiday. It's a momentous day in U.S. history. When the last slaves in this country, in Galveston, Texas, two months after the end of the Civil War heard that the way they were being treated was finally illegal. It had been immoral since the creation of the world when God declared that every human being is made in his image. But now in 1865, it was finally illegal in this country. I wonder what it would have been like for black Christians in Galveston, Texas, to read the book of James about what's coming for their rich oppressors. Many of whom, unfortunately, claimed to be Christians themselves. 
I think as I was reflecting on Tim's sermon from last week, I think before we start pointing the finger at big, bad, rich people out there, I think James invites some harsher personal introspection. For us today, are we in any way participating in systems that are unjustly balanced against certain people in our society? Just like James's community was facing. I think it's a pretty important question to ask ourselves on Juneteenth as we read the book of James. Another challenge that I think James's first century community was facing, another reason he says what he says, is that at this point in history, James was the primary leader of the church in Jerusalem. So he is pastoring Jewish converts to Christianity, faithful Jews who believe that Jesus was actually the Messiah that every Jew had been waiting for. But Jerusalem is the headquarters for first century Jewishness. This is the exact city where Jesus was executed. So you can imagine how difficult it would have been for any Jewish Jesus followers who stayed in Jerusalem. The book of Acts shows us that there is probably not a more dangerous place for Jewish Christians to be at the beginning of the first century than Jerusalem. They are worshiping the one who the most powerful people in town crucified. This is the group of people who James is pastoring. We talk about people getting canceled today, right, for holding culturally unpopular views. That in its worst form, is what would have happened in first century Jerusalem to Christians. You think faithful Jews are going to keep coming to your store if they find out you believe Jesus was the Messiah? When all the Jewish authorities and heroes said he was a liar and killed him for blasphemy. Yeah, I don't think so. You think people will let a Jewish Christian into their place of business if they've shared a meal with an unclean Gentile? Because that Gentile believes in Jesus too? Is it any wonder that as we've read through the book of James this this season together, is it any wonder that so much of this audience who James is writing to sounds so poor? And if all that wasn't enough, we see in the next passage in verses 13 through 16, which my friend and co-missionary Jonathan Lytle is going to preach about next week, if you look at their circumstances, we see that some of them are really sick. Not only are they suffering from injustice and from persecution, but as often comes with those realities, some of them are also terribly sick. So, if we were to summarize, what is happening to James's audience? Or to put it another way, why does James's audience need his encouragement to hang on, to persevere? I think the answer is because they are reeling from hardships that are not their fault. None of this is of their own making. They didn't ask for this. They didn't do anything to deserve this. It's either circumstances out of their control, things that are happening to their bodies that they wish weren't happening to their bodies, or things being done to them by other people. That's why James writes this letter. And that's why it matters for us to read this. I wonder how many of you might feel that way this morning. I wonder how many of you 
How many of us this morning are reeling from hardships that are not our fault? That aren't our doing. Hardships we did not choose to go through. I mean, the obvious answer we've all shared is COVID, right? All the many ways that affected us and is still affecting us. And our kids and our friend groups and our families. We didn't ask for that. It happened to us. Others of us are, are starting to feel the press of a surrounding culture that disagrees with the claim that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Being a faithful Christian, a biblically loyal follower of Jesus, is starting to look weirder and weirder to the people we live in the same city with, isn't it? Or maybe for others of you, hanging on to Jesus has recently gotten very hard. Maybe being faithful to the life that you know he's called you to has gotten slow or painful. Maybe it's even making you suffer. Or for others of us, maybe like some in James's audience, there's something with your body. Maybe you're sick. Or maybe you recently got a phone call and found out that someone you have loved your whole life is very sick. I don't know. I don't know your stories. I don't know all the stories represented here this morning. But how many of us are reeling from hardships that are not our fault? If you feel that way, this morning is for you. Because James has something to say. And if you don't feel that way, hallelujah. That's actually wonderful. But please listen really carefully so that you know how to encourage the people around you who do feel this way, right? James has something to say. Now, uh, to understand where James is coming from in this morning's text, I want to dip out of the book of James real quick and look at Acts chapter 1. This comes from the very beginning of the Jesus movement. This is his very first community of believers. And it comes right at the end of, his, of, his, of Jesus' earthly embodied ministry. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples ask Jesus, Is your kingdom coming now? Are you about to make all things new? Is evil going to get kicked in the teeth? Are your people going to live with you as king forever? That's, that's, that's all baked into the question they're asking Jesus. And Jesus says, Not yet. Not yet. But until that happens... Go proclaim that my kingdom is coming and live that reality out wherever you go. Go live with me as king wherever you find yourselves. Go be witnesses of this kingdom, ambassadors of this coming kingdom. And then Jesus flies. We don't know if it was like Iron Man, like two hands next to his waist and just shooting up. Or maybe he like slowly lifts off with elevator music in the background, serenely disappearing into the clouds. We're not told in the text, but I really like the Iron Man idea. <laughs> However he goes, right after that, two angels appear, and they tell the disciples, he's coming back. 
the same way you saw him leave. And that is significant. Because, in other words, you saw him go on the clouds, he will come back on the clouds. Which would have set off all sorts of bells and memory triggers for these original disciples who knew their Old Testament really well. They would have immediately thought about Daniel 7, which says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's what these angels are talking about. The next time Jesus comes, he will come on the clouds, which means he will come with his kingdom in all its fullness. And those disciples go back to the upstairs room where they're staying. And they would have been buzzing about what the angels said, about the promise of Jesus coming back with authority, glory, and sovereign power when all nations and peoples of every language will worship him. And when all that goodness is permanent. And look who's there in verse 14, praying about this with them in that upper room. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. James is there. James would have heard that his brother, his Lord, will be coming back on the clouds, and that his kingdom, his good kingdom, is coming with him to make all things new. So, all these years later, as James is pastoring the church in Jerusalem, when James tells his Jerusalem church family to hang on, to be patient, to stand firm, to not grumble, to persevere in the face of suffering, he says all that because he knows that his brother, King Jesus, is coming back. So when he writes, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming, he is not asking people to be patient without cause. He asks them to hang on for good reason. And then he gives us a picture of what he's talking about, how James is that. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. James is not asking us to grit our teeth for no reason. He's not saying, buck up just because. Be tougher. He's saying, hang on, because my brother is coming back. And then James, ever the realist, he can't just comfort people. He's also got to be corrective. <laughs> Don't, be gr don't, gr don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So yeah, Jesus is coming soon, but you better make sure you're not part of the problem when he gets here. Yeah, exactly. When James is read, people go, ooh, or should. Let's be real. James knows what's up. How many of us complain more 
when life is harder. Yeah. James knows we can get cranky. James knows we can get downright mean, maybe even evil, when we are also stressed out and under pressure, right? He knows we are often not our best selves, especially towards each other when we're also suffering, right? And James says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Jesus is coming back. And then he grabs two examples that he knows they'll be familiar with, reminding them how the prophets and Job were also patient when they were reeling from hardship that wasn't their fault. And he writes all this because of what those first disciples in that upstairs room told him. King Jesus will come back on the clouds full of compassion and mercy for those who are suffering and as judge over those who cause the suffering. What James is trying to get through to his original audience. And what I think he would say to us this morning is we have good reason to hang on. We hang on. We persevere. We patiently live through the trials that are not of our own making because one day Jesus is coming back to make everything better. He will heal everything. He will deal with evil and evildoers. He will right every wrong and comfort every one of us who are reeling from hardships that are not our fault. We have good reason to hang on. And if we do, if we persevere, we will also be counted among the blessed when Jesus gets here and makes all things new. I was thinking about Juneteenth a lot for this morning as well. And in fact, if you want to check out a great resource, there's a one-hour documentary that just came out um, called Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. It's by a ministry called Our Daily Bread Ministries, and they partnered with another great ministry called uh, uh, Jude, the Jude 3 Project, uh, directed by Lisa Fields. Anyway, look it up. It's great. Uh, it's on YouTube. You can watch it for free. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, look. Uh, the interviews locals in Galveston, Texas, whose ancestors, great-great-grandparents, were, were, were in that group of slaves who heard the news that slavery was now illegal. It's an incredible documentary. I encourage you to look it out. It's excellent. But I also think that celebrating Juneteenth can help us understand what James is talking about. See, the Emancipation Proclamation was given on January 1, 1863, when the end of slavery was officially proclaimed by Abraham Lincoln, right? But the war that enforced that proclamation ended on April 9th, 1865, two years later-ish. That's what made it official. That's what made the proclamation law. It became enforceable for the entire country on that April 9th, when the Civil War was over. But the enslaved Americans in Galveston, Texas, did not get this good news until June 19th. They had been officially free for 71 days. And they didn't know it. They didn't know an end of their suffering was coming. They hadn't heard the good news yet. To them, 
They were still reeling from hardship that wasn't their fault and didn't know that freedom was coming. No one had told them. But what if someone had? What if someone had ridden to Galveston with a copy of the Emancipation Proclamation and told them it's only a matter of time? Your suffering is about to end. Freedom is on its way. Can you imagine the courage that would have put into their already astonishingly strong hearts after enduring generations of injustice to know that it was about to start being undone? That's what the Scriptures are for. That's what the Bible is for. That's what the book of James is designed to do. It's designed to tell those sitting under real oppression that freedom is on its way. That freedom is coming. Now, hallelujah. Juneteenth celebrates the day the end of slavery was proclaimed to the final community who needed to hear it. But to my brothers and sisters of color in this community, from all ethnic minorities, I want to recognize with you this morning publicly that there is still a long way to go when it comes to racial justice in our country. But the book of James is written. This section of James is written so that you will know that complete freedom is on its way. Jesus will not let current injustices stand forever. And this community of Hillcrest Church wants to be a part of it. We have learning still to do. We have listening to do. And Christian and his team of pastors are here for it. Because we have good reason to hang on. Others of us this morning are facing different challenges. But the book of James speaks to those challenges too. Some of us are really feeling the pressure from our culture, from our neighbors in this city. Because being a Christian is starting to look weirder and weirder. When we send our kids to school, or when we chat with our coworkers, or sit through some classes up at Western, it's getting stranger to stay true to Jesus, isn't it? James wants us to know that Jesus is still coming. Hang on and do not be afraid. Christianity has always thrived on the margins. We don't do very well when we're center stage anyway. We need to stay faithful to Jesus and keep proclaiming and living out the good news to our neighbors because he is coming back. And all his good kingdom is coming with him. And our neighbors need to hear that. And they need to be invited to welcome him back when he gets here. And if you're worried about your health this morning, or there's something with your body that you're asking God to do a miracle, or if you still find yourself afraid of COVID, or if you hear someone dear to you is very sick, James wants you to know Jesus is coming. And one day he will make all things new, even our bodies and the bodies of those we love, either in this life or when his kingdom comes in its fullness. So hang on.
And we can do all this because James tells us that we have good reason to hang on. His big brother Jesus, our Lord, is on his way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have promised again and again and again in your scriptures that you have never abandoned us. Even when you tell your disciples, I'm, I'm going away. In the same breath you say, but I will never leave you. Because Jesus, you are with us by your spirit and we are so thankful. But one day, Jesus, you will come in a way that the entire universe will see and you will make all things new and you will undo every evil thing that has ever happened. And you will proclaim the good news that someone somewhere in the universe is keeping score and will bring the reckoning that we long for. Lord, thank you for your mercy because some of us would be on the wrong side of that equation of your reckoning without it. Jesus, I pray as we celebrate Father's Day, as we look to the true Father that you are, we would honor you and honor our fathers and receive ministry from you if that's a hard thing for us. What I pray too is we celebrate Juneteenth, as we celebrate the, the legal end of slavery in this country, that we would also take a good look in our hearts and say, what's left to do? Where does the kingdom need to keep expanding in and around my life? So that images of God everywhere are treated like they look like you. Father, we're so thankful for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it does not pretend that it addresses very real life situations. It is holy words on the ground. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad. We pray this in your name, Lord. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.